The poet says, somehow myself survived the night and entered with the day. That's Emily Dickinson. Somehow myself survived the night and entered with the day. The key word is somehow. Not entirely sure. After the dark night, maybe the loss of hope, the broken heart, the absence of love, somehow myself survived the night and entered with the day. That is the essence of the Easter message. Easter is not about saying what is absolutely true or absolutely false about what may have happened 2,000 years ago. Easter is any day when love is greater than fear, when hope is greater than despair, and when our hearts met by sometimes the assaults that come upon them still say yes and still continue to grow. Now, I did not grow up in a home that celebrated Easter in any way, shape, or form. Which is to say, I didn't have any preconceived notions about Easter except that it's a holiday celebrated by someone else besides my family and my tribe. So the first real introduction I had to Easter was a very, very good one. And it made me really welcome this holiday. The first introduction I had to Easter was from Reverend Dr. Forrest Church, who some of you may know, I've talked about before, was my mentor in ministry at the Unitarian Church of All Souls in New York City. And his message that day, as his message has been for the over 30 years of his ministry, was love and death. That it is because we are mortal creatures and because we know that someday all of us will die, that this is where our religion really starts. Now, this past week to prepare for this message, I have been reading Forrest's book, Love and Death, My Journey Through the Valley of the Shadows. As I've mentioned before from this pulpit, some of you might know, Forrest has terminal cancer, and he keeps getting more months and more months and more months, and that's wonderful for those of us who know him and love him. But he knows that he is dying. Well, the great thing about that book is that when he says his journey, my journey through the valley of the shadow, eventually all of us have to walk this path, our journey through the valley of the shadow. And that is why Easter is actually connected to the song by Duran Duran that we just sang. Some of the earliest meanings of Easter come a Latin word that's called Alba, A-L-B-A. And what it means is simply this, sunrise. Seeing the sunrise as if for the first time with eyes that maybe might have thought the sun could have disappeared. The brightest sunrise that any of us, any of you, that I will ever know is when we think the night is total and complete. And so today what I want to do is share a story of mine with you. I just don't want to tell you about it. I want to invite you into it. I want to invite you into this story and maybe see what it was like that maybe we could walk together through this one place 
the catacombs under the streets of Paris. It's called an ossuary. It's just a fancy word for many, many, many centuries of bones under the streets of Paris, France. So let's start together. The first thing you notice as you walk down the spiral corkscrewing staircase is that the light disappears immediately. And you start to wonder, maybe I should go to the Louvre today instead. (laughs) That natural light, it is gone. And it is quiet. There is no one who have bought tickets in back of you, and there is no one as far as you can see who are walking ahead in front of you. It is so quiet. And what happens is that there's barely, barely any light you know except for some hanging on the side of the wall. And it turns, and it turns, and it turns again. You walk to the end, and you think, am I at the catacombs yet? Because, you know, the fact that you know you're going to see a whole bunch of bones is scary enough. But yet you don't get there. You walk and you walk and you walk. Then you hit a wall and then you turn some more and you walk and you walk and you walk. And perhaps by that point, you are saying to yourself, wouldn't have Jim Morrison's or Oscar Wilde's grave been sufficient? (laughs) Those famous dead who call Paris home And at least are the famous dead at street level and not below it. And as you continue to walk, the anxiety sets in. And you really start to kick yourself that you consume so much of France's most wonderful libations the night before and stayed up so late because this would be hard with a clear head, notwithstanding the fact that you are starting to sweat And you ask yourself, will you ever get there? Will you ever arrive at the place that you bought the ticket for? And then because this isn't too difficult and the walls don't feel like they're closing in so much, you stretch out your arms to feel around you in the semi-darkness. And you say to yourself, oh my God, the parameters of this walking space, it is like a coffin. And you remind yourself, Just remember to breathe. Just remember to breathe. Eventually, you think, you hope, you believe, you will find your way out to the other side. And then you hit the sign and you know you are at the beginning. Except the sign, it is not at all comforting. Some of you know French. Stop. Here is the empire of the dead. What? (laughs) Stop? Hell yeah, I'll stop. (laughs) I want to go back. You want to turn around. You want to go home. You want to go. But back that slender coffin-shaped corridor, you do not want to walk again. And at least ahead of you, you can see that the path opens up a little bit. And you can hear for the first time voices louder than just your own breathing and the beating of your heart and the sound of your footsteps on the ground. And so what you do is you go in to the empire of the dead. 
And then you see it. Then you see it piled high and deep and wide and all around you. Skulls and bones. Skulls and bones. And you think to yourself, because this is the only context that you probably have in which to place it, what comes to mind is Auschwitz or the killing fields, the horror of the mass grave. But as you continue to walk through and you see these bones, these skulls, femurs and tibia, if you know anything about human physiology, you can start to recognize sort of what went where at one point back in the future centuries ago. But as you continue to walk through, something starts to dawn on you. There is no violence here. This is just death. And you are not quite quiet yet in your heart. But perhaps you are just starting to feel something settling down within yourself. And perhaps you feel that these skulls and these bones, they do not represent a secret society. In fact, they represent a club of which all of us, all of us together, are a member. You think of the old funeral liturgy, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. And you see in these walls and these alcoves and in these bones... You see that here we are gathered. The high and the low, the good and the bad, the rich and the poor, the well-known and the completely forgotten about. Here you are. And you look down at your dark pants. And you think to yourself, this is funny. It's flecked, milky white. And you think this is, oddly enough, bone juice. This is where you are. You cannot wash off this mortality. This is the bread that all of us share together. And as your fear really starts to subside, and as you just look all around you, you recognize how close you are. All these lives, all these bones, all these people from centuries past, you become one with them. See, there is not any more struggle here. There's just peace and rest. Because ultimately you see these words. And later you Google them. And you understand because the last thing you can remember from your seventh grade French is that tranquille. That's probably not the way you pronounce it. Sounds like tranquil. And you're actually starting to feel a little tranquil. And when you translate it later, you know this is exactly what was meant. Come, people of the world. Come to these silent homes. And your tranquil soul will be struck by the voice that rises here from the interior. It is here that the most well-known of the grand masters, the tomb, 
holds and keeps its school of truth. And you get it now, something that you had read years before in a Bible class at seminary from the book of Ecclesiastes. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. See, when you first read that, you thought, that is depressing. No, the heart of the wise is in the house of joy. The heart of the wise is where all the action is. But now it seems so obvious, having made this walk through the tombs, because you were scared when you entered, and now you are not. You know that flesh to flesh and bone to bone, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, you are now humbly connected with all that has ever been and all who will ever be. And you walk out now with the ability to breathe deeply, knowing that above all else, life is one. So much has changed from centuries past, as it will in centuries to come. But life is one. There is so much more that connects your life with what you've just seen than makes you different. And as you walk out, you see not just a Paris day, you see the most beautiful sun you have ever laid eyes on. It burns bright, and it burns true, and it looks like the first sunrise that you ever saw. It's like you're seeing it for the first time, and you vow right here and right now, having walked through those tombs, you will not take life for granted anymore. And the moment you say that, you also say to yourself, you know you will forget that. And you will start complaining the next time you are in traffic or the next time your computer doesn't work or the next time something doesn't go your way. You will start complaining again, but you've forgotten, but you will remember. You will remember what it is like to walk this path. And you will remind yourself, remember this. Remember this walk. Remember the bone juice. Remember the sunrise. Remember that all of life is one. You will remember. The opening words of perhaps the first, and I think still in many ways the greatest, of all the self-help books, and I know many of you have read it, is The Road Less Traveled. M. Scott Peck's wonderful invitation to life that is deeper and richer. And in fact, if you read past the first paragraph and understood what he was saying, congratulations. Because I know some people who picked it up and said, this doesn't sound like self-help. Life is difficult. That is the greatest truth. One of the greatest truths. The fact that life is difficult is a great truth because once we truly see this, truly accept that life is difficult, truly know it, don't push it away, don't fight it, we can actually transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, then life is no longer difficult. 
This is just M. Scott Peck's version of the Four Noble Truths of Buddhism. That life is suffering. But it does not have to be if we awaken and if we look upon life truly. We know that all of us are invited, as M. Scott Peck invites us, as the walk through the catacombs invites all of us, and certainly invited me on that day. Almost 10 years later, I remember it like it was yesterday. And I remind myself daily, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, life is one. If we can stay with this wisdom, all of us, all of us can truly know life before death. Not seeing life as a battle against death that we will inevitably lose. If you set the terms of the game in that way, then of course you will lose because you have to die. But if we accept our mortality, we accept that still life is rich and purposeful and in fact made even more so because we are all destined to die. That we can know a full life before death. And as Stephen and Andrea Levine, who've been working with dying people for decades, say, we actually can take that last remaining foot out of the womb and enter life most fully. And perhaps you ask, what of life after death? For some, for some that is all that Easter is about. And I do have to say, I used to describe myself as something of an afterlife agnostic. I think that's sort of breaking sort of more 60-40 these days. I've been reading a lot recently about the experiences of people who have had what are called near-death experiences. And the thing that provides me hope and comfort, and perhaps you as well, is that there is a remarkable universality to these stories. Perhaps you've heard them, a sense of peace, and contentment, and the one part that makes even some doctors think that perhaps is not just the mind tricking itself the fact that the mind's about to go out of business, is that people, when they return from these experiences, tell often about floating over what they saw and describing exactly who was in the room, even at the time at which they were declared dead. Now, perhaps, and I hope you can take some hope from this, that you can draw from peace from it, especially after you just walk through the tomb with me and maybe you're not feeling at all peaceful. And maybe especially you can draw some hope from it if your heart has been broken by grief, which is to say, that's all of us in one way or another. The afterlife is a legitimate human hope. And I believe one we must acknowledge as a religious community, even if I cannot guarantee it. I mean, I'm sorry. If you came in here today looking for the kind of congregation that would guarantee that you are going to heaven and you are going to be with exactly who you conceive your maker to be, and I give you 100% on that. I can't give you that, folks. And in many ways, I'm glad that I can't. Because I think the hope is enough. The hope is enough. And to be honest, I don't think anyone can honestly give you that full 100% guarantee. Because I've got to tell you, how would you collect your money back if they were wrong? I prefer the wisdom of Vladimir Nabokov, 
who said life itself, just to begin, life itself is a great surprise. Why shouldn't it be that death is even more of a surprise as well? See, the Easter arguments about what Jesus did or didn't do or what Jesus did or did not accomplish, these are all arguments about what you believe about Jesus. These are all arguments about how is the right way for you to believe in Jesus. But I have a simple question here today on this Easter. Is Jesus believable? Is Jesus just believable? Well, again, I'm sorry. It's not that simple. Because it depends which Jesus you ask. There is not one. There are many. Is there the one who said, the only way through the Father to the Father is through me? And no one understands God but through my experience and believing in me? Well, I'm a universalist. We're in a UU congregation. Our ancestors rejected that. Is it the Jesus who sounded more Marxist than megachurch? And said to the rich young man who approached him, what do I need to do to get into heaven? He said, sell all you have and give it to the poor. Well, he went away sad. And I got to tell you, that quote literally understood means that in our zip code around here, Chester County, there's probably fewer representatives in heaven than anywhere else in the world. (laughs) Or is it the Jesus who said or was said about him? In the Gospel of John. And this, I think, strikes me as the most difficult and the most absurd. That God gave his only begotten son for punishment because the rest of us were so inextricably awful that we were deserving, all of us, to be hung on the cross ourselves. I do believe, do not believe that that Jesus is believable. But there is another Jesus who is more trustworthy, more believable, He's the one who one day when he was out healing on the Sabbath and the religious authorities of his time said, stop it, you are breaking the Sabbath. There's not supposed to be any activity. He posed a simple question. He said, was the Sabbath made for us or were we made for the Sabbath? That's Jesus, the religious liberal. What he's saying right there is that human experience comes before any dead ritual. And ritual becomes dead when we place it before us because human life is more valuable than any ritual that is established. The Jesus of the Gospel of Thomas, which isn't even in the Christian scriptures, that Jesus is believable. Sounding a lot like Socrates when Socrates said, asked us, pleaded with us, know thyself. The Jesus of the Gospel of Thomas said very simply, If you bring out from what is inside of you, what is inside of you will save you. But if you do not bring out what is inside of you, what is inside of you will condemn you. That's an invitation to wholeness. Not to believe something, but to live a certain way. And most importantly, especially here for today, Jesus who said in the Beatitudes, and by the way, the word Beatitudes, it just is the word in Latin for the ways to be happy. Jesus said very simply, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's kind of like the drama for this morning. Sometimes when we do not mourn, 
We refuse to trust grief. We refuse to say goodbye because we believe it hurts too much. Well, we will not be able to download and install love. We will not be able to remove that malware that infects all of our hearts. See, because this is the biggest arc and sweep of Jesus' teaching. That love is stronger than our cruelest judgments of ourselves and our cruelest judgments of each other can be. That love is stronger than fear. Love is stronger than our fear of life. Love is stronger than our fear of each other. And love is especially stronger than our fear of what we cannot control, including death. Because love, and you know this in your hearts, if your heart has healed, that love is and can be stronger than death. Love can bridge that gulf between, between what we know and between what we cannot. To really make our peace with our mortality, to walk through that tomb, whether it's the catacombs or whether it's just within your own heart, is not just a hope for what may be, although perhaps you take comfort there, but to return to right here and right now and to know the invitation is to live this life fully before you die. Not wait until, but to live this life fully starting this day. And so I end as I began with Emily Dickinson. She said it absolutely true. Whatever you believe or don't believe about heaven. Who has not found the heaven below will fail of the heaven above. God's residence is next to mine. And God's furniture is love. May the architecture, all your furniture your entire house, your car, everywhere you walk. May the furniture of your life be loved this day and all the days to come. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. O God of Easter, not past or present or future. God of Easter of every moment, especially this very one. Let us know that the invitation is here waiting for us. The invitation to live life most fully, not to worry about the outcome of it all, but to know that the outcome will take care of of itself, and also take care of us. If we can be here now, share in the love and the abundance of being that is ours and walk with confidence and hope and faith into that greater life that sustains us, may we know that we are one. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, hope to hope, heart to beating heart with all who have ever lived. And in this, may we take comfort that we are not set apart, 
but we are connected in mystery and in miracle to everyone and to everything. Amen.